welcome to this podcast from Adelaide Place Baptist Church. We are a community of disciples, apprentices of Jesus, who live and work in the city of Glasgow, and it's our vision to join God in the renewal of all things. Our discipleship to Jesus is for all of our lives, so as well as listening to this podcast, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning or get involved in one of our missional communities, which are across the city throughout the week. Our prayer is that you encounter Jesus in some way through this podcast. More information can be found at apbc.net. We are going to keep on thinking about solitude and prayer. I'm going to hone in in a second in in this this particular prayer that is highlighted, which I think is a really helpful one because it's an unusual call to pray for our enemies. Um, hands up if you've been doing that this past week or been taught in that recently. Um, it's, uh, it's one of those more unusual ones. The title of this uh, message is uh, A Prayer-Filled Imagination. And I want to just uh, put before, get into it, just, just my, my goal in, in this, maybe the series, but also where I want to just provoke today is just a sense of moving from talking about stuff to actually and merely thinking about stuff, to actually putting some of these things into practice and provoke that sense, that need, as we come and think about uh, prayer, not just to come and pat ourselves on the back for thinking and talking about it, but, but to actually uh, feel that compulsion or being led by the Spirit to, to enter into that space. So that's kind of uh, my hope as we think uh, just now on uh, a prayer-filled imagination. So let me offer just a, a couple of thoughts by way of introduction that I, I hope are an encouragement uh, from our prayer lives. We've already kind of touched on it in some of the things people uh, had said. The first is it, a reminder, uh, and I would say it like this, that prayer is a benefit rather than a chore. Prayer is a, a benefit um, for us uh, rather than a chore. Listen to uh, this quote from uh, John Calvin. It's good to quote John Calvin every so often. It's one of my favorite quotes from him uh, on prayer. I love the imagery. He says this, it is therefore by the benefit of prayer that we reach those riches that are laid up for us with the heavenly father. We see that to us, nothing is promised to be expected by the Lord, which we are not also bidden to ask of him in prayers. So here's the image of digging up. So true is it, that we dig up by prayer the treasures that were appointed out by the Lord's gospel and which our faith has gazed upon. It's not a random requirement, just a, a test from God for his benefit to see how disciplined we are or how good we are in our life. It is designed for us as a benefit, as a gateway into communion with God, a sense of connection. So uh, from the words of Calvin, it's like we'll be given this treasure hunt, this, this idea to be able to go and dig treasure for our benefit in, in order to connect with God. So prayer is a benefit to us rather than a chore. The second thing I want to say, uh, and which I think Shona uh, touched upon, is that prayer can be developed and learnt by practice. I don't know if you've ever come across the uh, the phrase and leadership jargon, leaders aren't born, leaders are made. Well, in the same way, prayers aren't born, prayers are made. Whenever uh, the disciples turn to their Lord, almost exasperated, they're like, Lord, teach us how to pray. And 
um, Julie, the Lord, and started to teach them, not just in the moment of the Lord's Prayer, but elsewhere. We see moments of being taught how to pray. So the idea that we can sometimes hold on to is just, uh, I'm just rubbish at it, and which most of, us, most of us will say that at certain points of our life, or the idea that some people are just nailing it and excellent, and that's just the end of it. Well, it encourages us. The scriptures tell us that the early disciples saw it as something that could be learned through knowledge and, and put into practice and developed. And so there's also an encouragement as we think about prayer, just to remind ourselves that actually uh, wherever we are a starting point, we can all learn and grow in this, uh, this invitation to prayer. Lord teaches how to pray. However, we do need uh, to note the challenges and just back up a wee bit about the challenges of what we are talking about just now, huddled away safely in this beautiful room, uh, of existing in a culture of disenchantment, a dominant culture of disenchantment. Disenchantment meaning, specifically, the extraction of anything transcendent, anything or anyone beyond or above human understanding or human causality and capacity um, it is not entertained in, a, in our culture as acceptable, as believable. Now, you might come from a different culture, maybe outside of your, uh, Britain or Europe, and you might be steeped in, a, in a, a completely different culture to that. But here, there is a strong sense of a culture of, of disenchantment. We do not um, expect anything out with our human causality and capacity, and, which in some ways is a bit of a nod to the success of that enlightenment project across Europe where we famously put away those basic primeval beliefs in anything divine out there. And we are now getting on with the real work, the deepening of scientific knowledge. Indeed, in our culture, in secular culture, the, the empirical knowledge is king, where we empirical knowledge being that which we can observe in the sensory world, evidence and experiment, and therefore prove that it is real. So, of course, empirical knowledge is good. It's just it's, when it's king it, and, and we exclude other forms of knowledge, it becomes problematic. I think it's worth noting that our culture is much more pluralistic than we are often led to believe with many worldviews, religions, uh, belief systems out there that are at play, as well as what would be referred to as a postmodern curiosity in spiritual things, or that sort of mishmash of, th of beliefs that just kind of clash together in a sense that we've kind of busted that myth of human progress. Um, in Scotland, though, in many aspects, I think of the media and particularly uh, political life, there is arguably uh, an aggressive uh, secular worldview, which goes, functionally means probably two things. One, that functionally God is, is either dead or else has been relegated to the private world of values. And everyone, we will all just get on fine if we keep our private religious views at home and somehow banish them from entering our minds when it comes to anything in public life. And part of the rules that seem to be dominant within that is that like, an enlightened sort of secularist would not be expected to do the same thing. You can 
bring your sort of social theory or Marxist social theory into the debate, but don't just bring your Christ or indeed your Allah or, or whoever. And I, I say all that because not to moan poor us, because in, in my view, especially the, the decision makers in the West, we are really still quite free and comfortable a lot of the time, though I recognize people will view the degree of um, uncomfortableness or even persecution in different ways. But I say all that more to indicate when it comes to prayer, we are generally steeped in a culture that doesn't take it too seriously. We are generally steeped in a culture that would see it as futile, a waste of time, because we have done away with that and we have grown beyond that and past that and we have uh, dispelled those sort of uh, immature uh, beliefs. Um, now, unless, of course, we are talking about um, a sort of therapeutic benefit of the individual, you know, that's allowed. And mindfulness, Christian mindfulness, these are good things, but they are also potentially problematic if we restrict prayer just to this and co-opt a sort of, again, a, a, a disenchanted worldview, that it's just something interior that we do for our benefit. So I, wa I want to suggest this afternoon that one of the problems or dangers of the church today in the West is that we go along with this disenchanted storyline that is so dominant in our culture. And in effect, we, we kill our imagination about a transcendent God. We just go along with this dominant culture that things just tick along and there's, there's no God out there who's going to interact in any way. We just get carried along with that and we, in effect, we kill our imagination that there is a transcendent God, a God who is above human reason, a God who is above and in control and still involved in our lives, in whom we can move and act and, and have our being. And of course, the Bible draws us into seeing a completely different kind of reality of the world and a completely different kind of world indeed. And I think it's the, it's the kingdom imagination of an alternative way of being that makes the Sermon on the Mount, where we heard um, Mark, uh, Andrew, it's going to be Mark, where we heard Andrew read from, that makes it so important today. And in general, but also in specifically in relation to our topic of prayer. The Sermon on the Mount is generally accepted as one of Jesus' most essential teachings. It's when he, he takes on the new Moses or the new law motif as the one on the top of a hill giving out a new law and a new instruction. And in, in effect, Jesus is saying in this moment, there is another way. There is an alternative way for life, and it's called in Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of heaven. It's rich, it's beautiful, and there needs to be a, a rewilding towards an urban garden city where with Jesus, the poor in spirit are blessed, the mourners will be comforted, the meek will be promoted, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. And the church is called to be alert to this alternative way of Jesus. And specifically, this also applies to how we pray. What did Jesus say again on prayer? 
He says, you have heard that it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. I mean, wow. It's, the context, of course, was the Christians referred to Matthew's who were living under Roman occupation in a highly hierarchical society. And so it wouldn't have been hard for them to think about who their enemies were. Their minds would have quite quickly gone to Roman authorities, maybe Roman soldiers who could um, just at their um, slight request just request things of them. Often the Christians were being exploited by the rich in their society. So it wouldn't have been hard for their minds to go, actually, I know who you mean. (laughs) I know who you mean when it comes to enemies. But here's the... So Jesus articulates the hell belief, the the popular thought, the the traditional uh, view. That's the first move. The second move then, Jesus reframes the dominant thought. And he says, but I say, love your enemies. A complete U-turn vision of the kingdom that, that just turns everything upside down. And it, it invites him completely at that point into a different story. And he said, traditional teaching this. He takes it back to his heart and reframes it and just flips it on their head. And then the third move is that Jesus offers a practice, a means of grace that draws the disciple into the life of the kingdom, it gives them a habit that we talked about that helps them sustain themselves and actually live into the vision of the kingdom, this upside down world of love for your enemy. And he says, pray for those. Here's the practice. Pray for those who persecute you. There's also some practical instructions in the verses before that. So notice what he, he, Jesus doesn't just do in that third move. He doesn't just say, look, here's an idea Build an ideal around it or, you know, just and talk about that and, you know, keep talking about that and eventually, you know, you'll become the sort of community. He doesn't do that. He gives them a practice and one of the practices he gives them here is to enter into a type of prayer that I, I suspect most of us would find challenging and most of us wouldn't spend a lot of the time entering into that space where we pray for those who persecute us. I was thinking of uh, prayer in the sense of, of, of like, it's, it's almost like it, it's, as we come into the presence of the Trinity, it's almost like we, we just enter into a different realm when we start to come in this moment in prayer before God. I was thinking about it in terms of one of my days where I just noticed the difference of working from home versus working in town. Now, I, I'm not here to tell you one's better than the other. I'll just describe what it is for me. I know some people love working from home and it makes life brilliant. But for me, I, I just noticed one day, almost like objectively true, that when I worked from town, um, I, 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 my whole day went in a different direction. I bounced into this person. I had this different thought. I saw something and, and it, it made another thought and then before you know it I'm thinking all down a different uh, avenue where if I had just been I thought I'll just zoom in today and and work from home it was it was just going to be a completely different outcome now I kind of work with different days for different things but it, it it's almost that sense when we come into prayer and gaze upon 
the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit, it's almost into a, a different realm where, where different things will become possible as our, as our gaze is fixed on the one who laid down his life. It reminded me as well that the kingdom is, is a bit like, as well, in my mind, those house uh, renovation programs when someone's usually out like, arty architect's mind like Colin is, is just left to go wander and explore and I think of a, a, of a space like I remember one where there's a, like a narrow space where you, you shouldn't put a house and it just it just looks silly and all the naysayers and they say no we're going to build a house and here's how we're going to do it blah 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 and then sure enough they, they build a house out of this tiny tiny space in the middle of, a, of London and by the end of it everybody is going like that is absolutely amazing. Oh, and look, at how, look at the design and how you, you can actually get a usable house in that space. If their imagination was not allowed to, to go in a particular direction, that would have just been left as complete wasteland, complete useless space in between two buildings. But whenever their imagination is allowed to go in the right direction, new things were made possible. And, and there's something about this. There's the U-turns that are possible when we come into God's presence and practice prayer like that, we go in a different direction. Prayer that is fueled by the kingdom of God, gazing on the king, and not just gazing, but practicing by praying for those who persecute us, who have wronged us, and, and I guess can be in, in different scales and in, in different ways, in different um, seasons. And this only makes sense then, this way of being only makes uh, sense in the economy of God's grace, in the economy where, of forgiveness or where we can trust the God and God alone can put things right. It's an interesting space. It's a challenging space because I think it, in prayer, it, it, if, if ever there's a move that pushes us beyond just talking about the kingdom of God, when we actually have to come in and pray for those who persecute us. Something, of, I think, of the gospel just comes right to the core as we enter into that type of space. This is not turn a blind eye to wrongs. Goodness, Matthew emphasizes that it's the justice seekers, they, they pursue truth. And this is also not uh, a, a, a silence or, or not calling out evil and wrongs. We must do that. But this is to learn to not respond in the same way. To learn in that place of prayer not to let evil win by reducing ourselves to the same evil. It's to learn to become a different Christ-like community who don't fight fire with fire but patiently learn the way of love by practice. And on the macro scales, the culture war issues, which they are a plenty, and on the micro scale of our own lives, families, um, marriages, households, work, there, th th this... This, is, this takes a dedication of a community to be to refuse a way and, uh, of the world and to, to take up the way of Christ, 
as we pray and seek to love those who mistreat us. And so, then, what to do? How do we do it? It's interesting, in some ways, there's just not much detail given, is there, in the text about um, how to do that specific part of the prayer. We know later in the text not to, to babble like pagans. Jesus makes that abundantly clear. We also know later on in the Sermon on the Mount it's not to do impressive things like fast and show everybody a public show of your, your piety. There's something that goes on here in the hidden places. 5 or 5.30 in the morning. In, in unseen places, there's something of the health of the kingdom of God that breaks out when we go into these spaces. That if we believe Calvin, who's not around anymore, but if we believe his words, that there's treasures that we will not dig up as a community if we do not go into these spaces to pray like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to become like him. We will just carry on. <laughs> skimming maybe over the surface, while all the time Jesus is saying, look, changing metaphor, there's a mighty river flowing here, a mighty river, if you will get into it, or, and if you will go deeper, you, you can go as deep as you want if you learn to come into these places. So no specifics really given, but we, we know not to babble like pagans, and we know that there's a framing before the Lord's Prayer where it takes us back to last week where David was encouraging us to be honest, humble, sincere. There was a simplicity in our prayers. If you think you're teaching somebody how to pray, first thing you might want to say to them is, you do not find impressive words. You find simple words because your Father already knows your needs. Desperately helpful to start prayer with the conviction that it's for our benefit. God already knows our needs. He's in control. God's not worried. He's not anxious. He's in control. Again, there's no instructions really. When Matthew closes out his gospel, um, at the end he says these famous words that are called the, the Great Commission. He says, When Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That everything was Matthew looking back over the teaching of Jesus in Matthew's gospel. And that everything includes praying kingdom prayers for our enemies and those who think differently to us and those who might think persecute us. So when we say we baptize people and we commission people to become like Jesus and do the things him. We, he, we are talking about this. We are talking about what we are invited into in these simple and often hidden places of prayer for our enemies. So may God, may Christ enlarge our vision as the God on the move in the here and now. And may we be found joining in with him, digging for treasure in those spaces that may feel uncomfortable. But may you also hear the hope in Christ's plan for this world in your life. And if you haven't, respond to the invitation 
to experience the love of God that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray just now in a few moments. And I'm just going to, as a band leaders, um, it feels like it makes more sense to do it rather than to talk about it. So there's going to be a, just a few movements of prayer that I will guide very simply and leave space for. I thought I would go easy the first movement, which is just prayer for our neighbors. Now, if they're your enemies, then you can pray for them later as well. But, um, but if you're at peace with your neighbors, then I was really thinking on the optimistic front. So I thought, let's pray for our neighbors silently, our actual physical neighbors, I'm thinking, the people through the walls or at the end of the street or, or at the end of the lane or next block down if you're a, a country person, you know, our actual neighbors. Let's just in, this, in the stillness pray for them. And we're just going to repeat a prayer silently that God would bless them and bless them abundantly. And if you want to add any quiet words to that, just pray whatever. But if you're confused, just pray God bless them and bless them abundantly. And it might help you just now even just to picture who they are. And, and, and if you've got a lot of neighbors like I do, just, just pick a few and pray for them. Okay? So that's the first movement we're going to do just now. The second movement is to pray for those who have irritated us, wind us up, or even hurt us in the past week. It might be a contractor, somebody you just don't like, somebody at work who's bugged you, it might be whoever, but genuinely, somebody who is just rubs up against you. And then we're going to pray that God will bless them and bless them abundantly. And then I'll just leave a space in the third movement just to pray for those things that just feel so beyond. Maybe they're too sore to even mention. But again, there might be situations that I just pray that God would come in and bless them and bless them abundantly. So let's take a moment in the stillness to pray. God, would you lead us? And let's just pray for our neighbors, our actual physical neighbors as they come. Pray, Lord, bless them. Bless them abundantly. Let's pray. If your mind's going blank, just pray, Lord, bless them and bless them abundantly.
Father, we thank you for our neighbours. We thank you for St Andrews of the West who have hosted us for um, a number of months. Lord, bless them. Bless them abundantly. Pour out your spirit in this community. We pray. And let's take a, a moment just to pray for those who bug us, hurt us, irritate us, persecute us. Lord, bless these people. Bless them abundantly. for those where there maybe are serious wounds where we have been genuinely wronged and it's raw Lord we pray come Spirit of God bring blessing bless them bless them abundantly Spirit would you Help us be a community of goodness, of love, of kindness. People who not just talk about ideas, about values, but who who have a habit of living them and who people can experience something of the love of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit in our relationships with each other. God, where there are serious injuries and we're praying for a blessing of abundance, Lord, we are praying really in hope that you put things right and that love, your love will win and that evil and injustice will not win because you have conquered the futility of sin. You've conquered the death that entered through sin. You have won. And we come and we... We realize that we come into your presence. We stand in light. And we pray, Spirit, come and bring hope and lightness to our past. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. And in the words, just as you remember them in your own version, as the Lord taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, the glory are yours, now and forever.